The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop. Ironically, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fofop, I'm Will Anderson and uh, guest Charlie Clawson, Matt Kirshen is here. Matt will be joining us of course. This is a big week, what, here's what I'm trying to do Matt, to do like build up a bit of uh, excitement for the big Fofengers show at uh, Nerd Melt on Monday night. So these are all like mini previews. Right. So I'm trying to get all the guests that are on that show on the show this week. Right. And kind of make it like a, like, you know. Like before, I bet before they put out the actual Avengers 2, they'll do marathons in various cinemas of like the individual films. Right. That's right. You can go and see Thor and Thor 2 and you can go and see, you know, yeah, Captain America and Captain America 2. This (laughs) is my equivalent of that. Except that instead of repeating the old episodes, I'm creating new content. So it's, much better than Marvel it's is much what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is this podcast is much better than Marvel. <laughs> All right, that's a good start. Uh, but yes, uh, so that's what we're doing. Uh, February 9, it's at the Nerd Melt Theatre. It is free, but you have to book. Well, you don't have to book, uh, but you're if you want to be guaranteed a ticket. And also, just so I know how many people are going to come and how much stuff we should have and whatever, book and tell us that you're coming. It's still free. And then you'll be on the list. And then if we book enough people, um, then you know it'll just be people who aren't yeah. on the list. Or whatever. Now, I know there's at least one person who's coming from Australia. I know, from Perth. The guy's flying from Perth. Which is nuts. So if you're in LA and you're thinking, oh, maybe I can make it, maybe I can't. A guy's flying from another country. What if he forgets to actually book for the show? He can't <laughs> get, can't get in. The- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would sneak him in. I would find some space, <laughs> like, you know, for the guy. I wouldn't go, that's an important lesson. <laughs> Didn't book for the free show. Locked yeah. in all the expensive shit first. What have you learnt? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, if I'm using a vending machine, I I'll always put in like if it's if it's an irregular amount of money, like uh-huh. you know, if it's a seventy five p item or whatever, I'll put in the smaller coins first, just in case there's a problem with the coin slot. Oh. You know. You put in the 5p first before you put in the 50p. Wow. So then you've lost the least amount of money if the machine's bust. Look at you. Right. That's like a life hack. In the same way, he should have booked the ticket before he bought the flight. Right. I mean, that's you lock in the thing you're going to. I mean, because at the end of the day, it was a free show. You were only just putting your name down on a list. Wouldn't it be great if it was a free show, but if people did cancel, there was like a $1,000 cancellation fee? <laughs> that's how I'm finally funding the podcast. Yeah. I lure you in for signing up for free. But then like, there's a monthly... I'm like, why do we have to put in our credit card details? <laughs> and then just like once a month, you have like this weird amount of money, like $8.99 come out of your bank account. <laughs> I don't think you should even be putting your credit card details. I think you actually just send bailiffs around oh, yeah. the individual houses. Right, yeah. I, and I, I never send a bill or anything. Just really, yeah. It's just in the phone print i think you just do it yeah maybe not even the beta so i think you do the kneecapping first uh-huh yeah first <laughs> and, then just- <laughs> and then then while they're kneeling down in pain i explain what's happening <laughs> <laughs> well i won't explain it personally but just goes, you missed a great show right <laughs> <laughs> just- 
bats as he just takes a baseball bat to your legs. Right. What I'm saying is, yes, you can book for free, but if you book and you don't come, I am going to hunt you down and kneecap you. <laughs> just to make a point. Uh, yes. So, so it should be exciting, though. Uh, and great. James Fosdyke's done a really cool poster. I was showing you the initial inks. You were excited to be drawn as I don't think I've a ever, superhero. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever done that to me. I don't think I've ever been superheroed. Right, and Iron Man too. I think that's pretty, like... I think that's a good one. Yeah. Well, you're the science guy. Right. I mean, at least out of the other of us. <laughs> <laughs> like, out of our gang, if we had to put together the Avengers, you'd be the science guy. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're the probably science guy. <laughs> you're probably Iron <laughs> Man. Like- yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, if you were an Iron Man type uh, superhero, like, you know, imagine if you had Iron Man life. So you're like a billionaire, you know, kind of inventor, right? And, but also, you know, you're fighting crime in your iron suit. Uh, what, what's Matt Kirshen's life like? Uh, would you embrace that? I don't know. I think I'd probably get quite excited about the whole being a crime fighter for a week or two. And then I think the allure would wear off. And then I think I'd mostly probably just fly to the pub. Right. <laughs> I guess. You're like, I don't need to worry about money. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll just have a nice life. <laughs> just, like, you know, there's those, those places now you go to and it's just a room of trampolines. Bounce, they call it in Australia. Okay. I don't know what it's called everywhere else. There's but... a couple of different franchises yeah. of it in America. I went, I went once. Uh, no, I think I've been twice now. It's exhausting, by the way. Are they for adults? I thought they were for children. Technically. Right. Is this one of those times where you being like a man-child comes in handy? <laughs> Are you sneaking into bounce facilities? No, they and definitely have. Getting privileges that adults shouldn't have? They definitely Are have. Are you pretending to be a child? <laughs> Do you have a false ID to say that you're underage? You know, here's the thing, Will. <laughs> They have prices for children and for adults at this facility. Right. Now, the adult prices might be for accompanying parents. Right. <laughs> I don't know. But you know what? You can buy an adult ticket. Yes. Here's what I will say. The building is open during midweek daytimes when children should be at school. Right. That is a good point. So and is that the time you go? Do you go so in the kind of the off-peak times? No, I go I go at, like at about 4.30, a peak child. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You like trampolines, but what you like more is bouncing a small child off a trampoline. <laughs> no, I, went, well, I think I went, I went twice. It's your version of UFC. I yeah. like the idea that you're going there and you're acting out that you think you're the world champion UFC fighter, but you're just bouncing tra- babies off trampolines. <laughs> yeah. And I do like the pre-show, like the pre-game interview as well. Right. Uh, measure up. <laughs> to be The bit where we weigh in in our pants, that's a bit creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you got to bring your own scale. That's part of the problem. Right. That's, <laughs> uh, God, no, well, they have dodgeball at these things as well. And uh, there was one point, there was me, Andy Wood, my uh, uh-huh. Probably Science co-host, and Dax Jordan. It's a very funny comedian. Mm-hmm. And... And we were up against... By the way, like Dax Jordan is a good name for a comedian and he is a very funny comedian, but it'd be a better name for like a superhero. Oh, by far. Right? That's an excellent name. Dax Jordan or uh, like a line of footwear. Yeah. I'm wearing Dax Jordans. <laughs> I don't even know whether Dax Jordan would be like his alter ego name or a superhero name. It could be both. It, it could, could be, be both. Either or both. By day he's Dax, Dax Jordan and by night he's Dax Jordan. Because <laughs> it's with just, two J's. Because it's just such a cool name. Yeah. <laughs> Just hopes no one pieces the two together. 
people are like, you've got the same name as that superhero. I goes, I, I know. G- I get that all the time. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, yeah. we, we played dodgeball, dodgeball against these... Um, like there were some, there were some kids, but there were uh-huh. also some like seventeen-year-old kids. So kids, they destroyed us. Right. So I you could... played dodgeball. You, you old men on trampolines <laughs> played <laughs> dodgeball tra- against like, children. I'm aware. Th- as when you put it right. like that, it does sound bad. Right. It does. A group of old men <laughs> found some children, <laughs> and someone that you were like, oh, and almost the adults. No, other children. <laughs> Underage people, <laughs> and then you threw balls at them, which While they I can only imagine, Your Honor, was a metaphor of some sort. <laughs> but it, that's what I do if I were a billionaire. That's right. That's my point. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> well, that's what Michael. I, that, I that's have... how Michael Jackson started, and you <laughs> saw where that ended up. Yes. So, like, why go to the why go to the trampoline building when the trampoline building can come to you? Right. It's a very good point. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's been going on with you? What's what's going on in your life? What has been going on with me? What's been going on in the world of science? I know that you you know you don't have to bring oh. you, but what what have you got been talking about recently on the podcast that's really fascinated you? What's what should we know from the world of science? I'm trying to remember what the big stories are that we've had recently. Um the looks like the the big gravity wave discovery from last year was bullshit after all. Okay, so tell us that, but that, I don't. That, that was the one where we were all just going to float off the Earth for a few seconds. Oh no, that was always bullshit. <laughs> that was... <laughs> like that's how little I know about that story because yeah. I knew it was bullshit so much that I was like, I'm not even going to explore whatever this fucking nonsense that yeah. some of my friends on Facebook believe is. <laughs> No, seriously, at 11.06, uh, all the planets will be aligned perfectly, and if you jump, you'll just stay like that. You just I think that's what it was. It was something, something like, like that. that. It, it was, was something ridiculous. I've stopped reading those things because, well, basically, I just don't want to block my friends on Facebook. Right. And I, if you retweet one of those things, uh, I, I've said this before, the rule should be, if your description of any clip you pass on is, I can't believe this is true, then it's probably not yeah. true. <laughs> Check if it's true. Just take a second and type the thing into Google and say, is this true? And the internet will tell you if yeah. it's true or not. There's, um, there's that new thing as well that started to happen of there's, there's a handful of websites that sort of build themselves as satire sites, but actually just post lies. <laughs> like, you know the ones I mean? Like it's like, I do. The, it's, it's basically clickbait things and they, and their disclaimer at the bottom is like, this is satirical. Like, no, the onion is satirical. This right. is just a lie. Right. <laughs> this is just <laughs> This is just something that isn't true that is exciting to people on Facebook. You're even lying about the word satirical. Yeah. <laughs> we can't trust anything about you. Yeah, the disclaimer page should have another disclaimer at the bottom. <laughs> like a second disclaimer. That's where they get you, about the seventh disclaimer page. Yeah. That's where the really <laughs> that's where I'm getting people on my ticket deal for the live show. <laughs> It's the seventh disclaimer page you've got to check. <laughs> but but there's okay, so there's there was a big story about um and I'm even struggling to remember exactly what it was, but it was okay. it was there's there's a if there's anything Tofop's about and Fofop's about, it's giving people the gist. Yeah. Well there's a there's a study group called BICEP, which is an acronym. Okay. As opposed to just a description of the arms of the scientists in question. Right. And but uh, I like it though. It feels like it's a group of nerdy scientists yeah. who want to sound cool. It's a uh, 
But it was what was it? It was a radio. It's like when they like when they have to come up with the name on Celebrity Apprentice, oh, yeah. and it's so great to see someone like Geraldo, you know, just like being so into an idea of like we should call our team Dynamic. Yeah, right. It spell it spells rug munch. Do right. you get it? <laughs> yeah, we get it. We all get it. No, 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 no. Hear me out. Because it's R U G. Yeah, no, we we get it, but it it doesn't. It's an expression. We know what it's an expression for. <laughs> it's just, that's not the problem. That's not our issue. Okay, so they're called bicep. So anyway, there was there was a big study. Or where, like a secret organization like Shield. That's what exactly. it sounds a bit like bicep. You Maybe the, someone who was coming after those you. Tortured you know. acronyms as well. Where they just right. There'll be something in bicep that does not need to be there. Yeah. Like E probably stands for every. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, but anyway, they discovered they what they believed to be. Oh God! Now let me see. Whatever measurement it was, it confirmed the inflation theory, which related to the speed at which things expanded after the Big Bang, which had consequences for the physics of the universe. And it was very exciting, and it confirmed a theory that was postulated in the 70s, and they found some physical evidence that supported it. And the scientists who originally came up with the theory was like, well, that's a Nobel Prize. Um, And now it turns out that their findings might be bullshit. Oh, uh, and even at the time, we, like we did an episode entirely dedicated to it, so I should remember it better. But it was a year, almost a year ago uh-huh. now, and we had um, three physicists who we'd had on the show before: uh, Jamie, Larry, and um, who are based in LA, and then Jana Levin, who's normally in New York. Um, and Jana, even at the time, was saying, like she, like she called it. She was a bit like, "I'm waiting to see what like right. it may or may I'm not." I'm not be. locking this shit in. Yeah. I'm a little sus. So, which, you know, is what good scientists do. And even the team in question were like, when they released their findings, they weren't like, da-da! They were like, well, here's something that may or may not be super exciting, but let's see what you guys think. They More da-da with a question mark on the end. Yeah. Like, like, da-da? They, they put their data out to the world, <laughs> and it now looks like that might be bullshit. So that's... That I one. hope when they do, like, instead of ta-da, like, because they're putting out data, it's ta-da! Yeah. There you go. That's a great little turnaround I've done <laughs> there. That's good. Yeah, thanks. Um, cute joke. You can tell your friends. <laughs> Here was a little thing that I found out we found out on the show that oh, really yeah. surprised me. me. Here's a little tidbit. Almost nothing is blue in nature. Almost nothing in nature is actually the color blue. So even even when things look blue, like in certain insects' wings look blue, they don't have blue pigmentation in them. It's just um, refraction of light. So what about bluebirds? Nope. What about Smurfs? And Smurfs are the rare exception. That's right. the one exception, yeah. What about a lion wearing a pair of Levi jeans? Um, okay, that, that one is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's very so little two, blue dye. Two out of three of my examples were, though. So I think, yeah, take I, that, science. <laughs> yes, you're better than yeah. nature. Ta-da! <laughs> um, but nothing, almost nothing's blue. There's almost no blue p- pigmentation in right. nature. Well, I know the ocean isn't blue because that's like... You know, like that. I I get that. Yeah, one, and the sky. It's a combination about, like, of reflection. Blue flowers and blue. Just yeah, most things. Most even flowers that are blue. It's the shape of the petals. It's something to do with the way that the surface is arranged. It scatters or refracts light in the same way. In the same way that the sky isn't really blue, the sky just scatters and refracts refracts lights in a certain way. It's so fucking weird though that everything is so blue. 
and none of it's blue. Right. That's blowing my mind. It blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it does because blue is like the predominant color that we associate with our planet we're the blue yeah. planet you know what i mean and like you like you said the oceans look blue you know the sky looks blue like everything around like we go it's blue and green they should never be seen unless there's something in between but that's that- a little fashion a bit of advice but oh. yeah but also you know for the planet wear what you want uh but yeah, yeah. i knew uh, I, I knew you're not meant to wear like stripes and checks together yeah that's true that's yep. the thing yep and, and you shouldn't wear like a police uniform unless you're a police officer. That's or a or, stripper. Or stripper, a stripper. Yeah. That's the exception. But like, I, yeah, that. I think police uniform with Velcro breakaways, like that's fine. Right. But no Velcro breakaways, you you can't. Yeah, you have to have Velcro. That's the exception. It's the, the Velcro exception. Yeah. Named after, weirdly enough, police officer Victor Velcro. <laughs> Had nothing to do with the actual Velcro. Really? Yeah, it was just a coincidence. There's a little fact for you. Never knew that. No, no one does. It's like one of those. It's like wrinkles on your fingers in pools. People think that, you know, you're getting dehydrated by the pool, but, you know, it's just your hands getting more grip. Yeah. Yeah. So people, same thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Read it on a juice bottle lid. <laughs> Saw it on episode of QI. It was a very funny episode. Paul Merton was on. Oh. And yeah, yeah, I had a whole riff about it. I can't remember it now, but like, it's a great, great episode. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. I don't know. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what's been happening in science. Okay, then, that's update to science. Uh, I was back in, I was back in England when you were back in Australia. Um, well, we know. were giving your uh, Prince Philip a knighthood. Oh God, yeah, I heard about that. What we, a! We gave out two knighthoods. It's nice to see he's made good. Yeah, I mean, Prince Philip's good to know he's finally getting recognised. Right. Well, we, we, that, well, that's one of the best things about it is like a. Like, I mean, I guess, you know, giving, uh, you know, a racist and misogynist a knighthood is very Australian. Yeah. So I guess there is that. And, it's you kind know, of appropriate, given like an antiquated thing to an antiquated person. Right. It's like we've, we've brought back this thing that no one thinks we should have. So we might as well. We, we, it turns out we can't give it to a unicorn or a crocodile Dundee. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're not actually real. So we found the next best thing. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's the husband of the woman on the money, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but what I love is it's also a shitty title that like. Well, firstly, um, Hilsey had a very good tweet about it. He said it's like giving uh, Beyonce a Jay Z album. You know, like <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she'd appreciate it, but she can get one at home. You know, <laughs> and it's uh, it's one of those things. Like, but it's not even his best title. Like, no. we're, just, we're just giving him a shitty title that goes in the middle of his other fucking three pages of titles. Yeah. So he's like, oh, yeah, okay. Great. Now I'm going to have to wait an extra second to speak at fucking formal occasions because... Because there's an extra beat in the... Right. There's ex- yeah, it's so fucking ridiculous. It's like giving Michael Phelps a bronze swimming certificate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you can do 150 metres now. <laughs> <laughs> like, Brett, like, you can do, like, all the crawls? Like... <laughs> Right, it is one of front those... Front and back? Wow. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Um, so who else got knighted then? So Two. We, we gave away two knighthoods. So, so Philip got one. Yeah, Philip got one. Uh, we, you know, so that was the first one. And uh, then uh, somebody who probably deserved it, uh, Angus Houston, who was head of the army, and he's like a, he's a well-respected person in Australia. And I don't know enough about him to have a judgment one way or the other, but from people I trust who tweeted about it and like were supportive of it, yeah. it seems like someone that maybe you give us this sort of thing too. He is also on the committee that approves the decision. 
<laughs> this is true. The two options we've put forward to like the, the committee and the queen. One of the guys is on the committee yeah, and the other one's ma- married to the queen. <laughs> Does, um, now, would you accept an honour if it were offered to you? Okay, that's an interesting question. I like that you've asked that because I... Th- Firstly, felt bad for people who've got legitimate honors, right? Yeah, I have no problem with people having honors for things that are deserved, and if you know, rewarding people who've served the public and all those sort yeah, of things. Yeah, you know, when it's like someone in a community who's done a load of charity work or helps, yeah, this woman who runs a special needs school and has done as a volunteer for 30 years and now gets to have an MBE or whatever. Well, good for you. Awards for services to your industry or to your community, I think are things that, if you know, we should be, like if we want to be a society that works together and evolves together and survives the, you know, the the things that are facing our world. There are things like that that make mean a lot to certain certain people. And that's like, yeah, great. And and helps raise the profile of your work. And I would much rather those things be people getting awards than me having to spend three fucking months watching actors give each other fucking gold trophies. You know, like, I, again, they can have their fucking trophies. But the point is, I don't mind this. Yeah, this is the, a good thing. Right? And it's obvious, like all those award ceremonies are basically to publicize either the business that's giving out the award ceremony right. or the films. And they heavily, like heavily lobby towards, like now I'm a member of SAG. I'm at like, which is the lowest. That's for the, the Screen the, Actors the, Guild. Oh, right. But it's a, oh, a yeah. ball drop organization. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Screen Actors Guild's ball drop organization. Right. Um but I now How get- many years do you have to be in before you get your first tuck <laughs> on the union? Like, yeah, they, they pay for a tuck at some stage, right? Well, it depends. You've got to be like, I'm still able to wear jeans. So obviously, okay. like when you're at the kilt level, that's right. when. That's- <laughs> <laughs> but, um, okay. but, you know, I get, I get now get some of the screeners uh-huh. and some of the download codes and stuff. And it's, you know, it's, it's fun. I like that now. I get to watch some of those films for free. Right. But you get to see a very small version of the amount of lobbying that these films do. Because the SAG Awards are, you know, I'm sure if I were on the Golden Globes committee, and particularly if I were on the Oscars committee, if I were one of the Academy members, the amount of stuff that you probably get from people, like, begging you to vote for them. Because it makes a massive difference. Like, a film that wins an Oscar gets, like, a huge boost. So they spend thousands millions even right it's a marketing lobbying. exercise yeah completely yeah. so it's like i see why it exists but it's a nonsense okay so the, the australia day awards i am supportive of in the in the sense that we right. were talking about and i thought it was unfair for angus houston to have to win his like even though i think we don't think we should have knighthoods i think it's a stupid outdated you know like old school way you know we should have the highest australian honor and it shouldn't be a sir or a dame or anything like that that's yeah. ridiculous but angus houston um, he had to win it alongside. It's like sharing. I said I tweeted. It's like sharing uh, winning uh, the best actor at the Oscars with Rob Schneider. Right. Yeah, you couldn't help but think you know, this is taking a little bit of the gloss off my my award. You know? Or like with <laughs> Margaret Oscars, right? <laughs> <laughs> the woman who happens to be married to the statuette, it's Oscar Oscar Junior. Yeah, hang on, hang on a second. <laughs> Don't you stand next to the Oscars at the award ceremony? Hang on, you're telling me that I've won Best Actor alongside Andy Serkis playing an Oscar? Yeah. <laughs> mm, this feels like an inside feels job. Feels like a... Okay, so um, my father and my grandfather have both won Order of Australia medals, which is a, uh, is a pretty high honour. Okay, and that's decided, is it? Is it like, it's in a Thunderdome? It's in a Thunderdome, two go in, one comes out. <laughs> 
And uh, no, um, so they were both for public service, um, you know. So my dad's one uh, was for services to the farming industry, but also to services to sport. He was a, a really good sports person, like Australian football and cricket, and um, played at quite high levels, but also coached for years and like oh, okay. was involved in the community. Fair enough. And I went to the. God, se- you really are like the freak in the family, aren't you? Oh, totally. Like right? I've seen you talk about it. In, it's in your last, your most recent show about how. Right. I, well, this is it. Like, like I am though. The the brother gets the farm. Right. I went home for Christmas and like I was first time back to the farm for a while. Yeah. And there is that time where they, you know, because they're going out to milk or they're going out to blah, blah, blah. And they look in my direction like, do you want to come in? And then they're just like, no, nah, no, nah, you're fine. You can just stay on the couch. <laughs> this will be fine. Do you want to come and bring your flute <laughs> just to company? My uh, brother sent me a picture the other day of his boy Fletcher, who's like three. And he was rounding up cows. Like, and, you know, he was running down the dairy and bringing a cow in and he did like 30 of them for my brother and he's three. And I was watching that going, at three years old, he's officially more useful on that farm <laughs> than I ever was in yeah. any of the time. Well, we've there. now worked out our various skills in the apocalypse. Right. <laughs> like, this is like... Yeah. Oh, no, that's my... I, I talked about this in my last show, but that that is like one of my real things is like, I understand I'm a first world indulgence. Yeah. Like, I don't even need the apocalypse. I can't go to most countries and do my job. <laughs> like, because I don't speak the language. And then I can't go to most other countries because my job is not a job because they don't have time to fucking pay someone to fucking make them laugh because they'd <laughs> rather pay someone for like food yeah. and water and somewhere to fucking live, right? Do you think in a foreign country, n- n- like neither of us is a particularly physical comedian. Mm-hmm. Do you think if you were shoved in front of a room, in a room full of people who spoke no English and you spoke none of their language, you could entertain them? I mean, for a while, yeah, sure. Probably I, not at the start. And then I reckon I could get them. Yeah. <laughs> How cocky am I? I reckon I could get them. They don't speak your language, but I'm like, I still feel like I can. I got sense. some moves. I got some shit. I mean, I've done no physical clowning. I've never taken like a clown class, no. class or anything, but... I mean, I'd be interested to give it a crack. Yeah. I just even as an experiment, I like I know that's one thing that they do in like clown clowning classes or whatever is just you know, shove you in front of an audience and not let you speak and go like make these people laugh in whatever way you can. Is that really something they do? Uh which would terrify me, but probably be quite interesting to no, try. That's a good exercise. Yeah. No, I, I would like to do, I, I might do the Eddie Izzard thing, you know, how he's going to like, yeah, he goes to different countries and he learns the language and he yeah. goes and does shows there. He puts I'm, in some time. Yeah. I might do that, but not learn the language. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll, I'll make a big public announcement. I'm like, this is even better than what yeah. Eddie Izzard's doing. I'm going to do the same thing, but I'm just going to do my show in I'm, English. I'm just going to wing it. I'm just going to wing it. <laughs> See how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> or I might do a crowd work show in a country where I don't speak the same language. So I literally go up to people like, hi, what's your name? Just what guess do you do? what it is. What do you do? Sustenance farmer? Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I like the idea that I don't even understand what they're saying in response, but I'm just doing crowd work off that end. Who are? That could be a show. I could do that as a show. I mean, it probably might be terrible, but it'd be... So a crowd work show to an audience that doesn't speak the same language as me. <laughs> <laughs> That's my next DVD. It's <laughs> called like just Will the, Anderson, baffling. <laughs> just the really confused people. I was like, I really like that one he did at the Opera House where he just told stories that I understood. But this one where he's doing crowd work to people who don't understand yeah. his language. <laughs> Will Anderson, you know, flailing in front of foreigners. <laughs> <laughs>
how was Opera House? Because I haven't spoke, I haven't seen you since you did it, and okay. I imagine so, it was quite fun. It was fun, and that was one of the things that I wanted to make sure that it was because there was a bit of pressure on it. It's a big deal. Well, yeah, like that's that is the most prestigious venue in Australia, right? I can't right. think of anything. It's certainly the most iconic venue. It'd in be great if we had one that was a bit like that was more iconic, but we were just keeping it secret right. from the world. <laughs> yeah, like we'll tell you all about the Opera House, but you know yeah. where you really want to go. <laughs> oh, the Opera House. Oh, the one on the postcards. Oh, Good yeah. for you. Good uh, for you. Yeah, going to that one, are you? Yeah. Oh no, we've got the. It's the other one, which is the Opera House, but completely uh, underground. <laughs> like same shape, but underground. <laughs> yeah, it's the, yeah. the Tassie Opera House. It's the ta- <laughs> so, um. It was exciting, but it was also nerve-wracking. And I'll, I'll tell you why it was nerve-wracking. You might understand this a little bit, uh, which is that I have only ever recorded one other special. And, right. Uh, is into- that look so? Yeah. Like, this year will be my 20th show, and I've only recorded one other one. That, so that's remarkable. It's stupid. I should have recorded them all. Are there, like, audio version, like audio recordings of some audio of the other shows? recordings of them all. There's probably not, you know, published, like, you know, of a quality that I would like to publish audio recordings right. of, but maybe them put them out as a bootleg or something at some. I point. could at some stage. I don't know. Yeah, here's what I'm going to do now. Hopefully, is every year from now on record the show. Right. That's kind of what I'm going to do. I can't really do much about what has passed. Yeah. And in some ways, I'm glad that some of that stuff isn't there. You know what I mean? Like, I don't necessarily like want to live and die on some shit I was doing five years ago or ten years ago. Yeah, we talked but, about this on one of the first times I was on the show on this on this podcast how your comedy has definitely kicked up a notch and evolved even in the last five years. Yeah, and no, I agree. And and a lot and mostly from doing that last special, which right. I hated, and they replay on the ABC every fucking Christmas Eve, and then I get complaints on fucking Christmas Day from people going, <laughs> oh, you'd be more clever if you didn't swear as much. And I was like, I didn't make this to be played on Christmas Eve. Why has this become a Christmas Eve tradition to fuck up my Christmas? That's... <laughs> That's my Christmas. Me waking up to angry old people going, why are you so mad at Kevin Rudd still? I'm not. It was recorded in 2009. (laughs) So anyway, uh, what I really wanted to do more than anything was have a good version of a show that when I died, they would at least play that instead of this old version. Me with my... Because the old one, I was wearing a Madonna mic. Like it's just not me and what I do. right? Right. And I'm, I'm probably being overly precious about that. Some people really enjoy that DVD, and I don't want to disrespect their enjoyment of it. I appreciate yeah, that they like it. Yeah, and there's times where, like, I look, I've looked back to my old material sometimes. Even like my the one album of mine that's out is something I recorded in 2008, which is now quite a while ago. Right. And there are bits on it that I'm like, oh god, I'm a much better comic now than I was then. And then every so often I'll just like something will get played or a clip or on a podcast or something or every or I'll hear me pop up on. XM radio. And I mean, like, oh, that's a, oh, that's a good joke. Right. I could still write a good joke. Like there are, there are bits of that that I'm still really pleased with. And I'm sure it's the same with your past stuff. Like they've got to be bits that you're like, no, that's a rock solid chunk of material. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? It's going to help me make peace with like that last one. Yeah. Now that I've got this one. Right. Now that I've got this one done and it's in the can, I can look at that other one of going, okay, that's a historical document now of what I was doing in 2009. Yeah. And I am peaceful with that because there's another thing now that reflects what I've been doing for the last five years. Yeah. Like, you know, that is out there. And maybe five years from now, I'll look back on what I've done now and go, oh my God. Like, because there's certainly, because I had to watch it back a bunch of times, like, you know, for the edit and all that sort of stuff, which is, 
not something that oh. I mean I've never even watched my old one I've right. never even seen it and I've had to watch this one like five times in the last week you know yeah and you're picking shots I spent so <sighs> long not giving the notes on my album because I we recorded it over like a, you recorded over two shows for your special right uh-huh. my album like it was like six shows or something we recorded in Minneapolis and you you mostly pick like the best show that you uh-huh. got you kind of go I think Saturday early was the best show so you pick that, but then I listen. You listen to the whole show, and you go, ah, "I mumbled on that joke, uh-huh. or I slightly fudged that." Or, and then you have to go through every other show and just go and pick the version of that sentence that you thought you did better. So because you're, you're finickety, right? And because you've got too many options, yeah, right? oh, absolutely. Because if you didn't have those other options, you'd be fine with your version. So oh, uh, that's a really interesting thing that you say. So I'll give you a. And we can talk right through this. It's yeah. fun for me to be able to talk about this and explain it to people anyway, because people heard all about the journey and, yeah. and doing it. Dara Bream uh, was saying, we were talking about this a while ago, and he was saying, you've got two options when you're doing a special. You can either record over a couple of shows and pick and choose, or do what he does, which is just record an hour, like half an hour longer than the special is ever going to be, yep. and then just cut out the bits that don't go as well. Yep. Uh, uh, for me, that I couldn't do that. Could I be like, no? But I like that joke, and I hate that I did a bad version of that, and that should be in the show. But but that's how he works. Okay, that's a, that's all really good context for the discussion that we can have yeah. about this. So, uh, I recorded uh, two shows. Yep. Uh, so, um, and, and it was in the concert hall in the opera house, and it was a Monday night. Right now, we wanted to record two shows. You know, basically, you know, for a bunch of reasons, but. You know, even just having two shows, I know I'll do a better first show knowing yeah. that I have a backup show. A hundred percent, yeah. Because right? you've got the backup show, you know you've got the backup show. If you were like a one and done, then you'd go on a bit stiff and a bit worried because it's like, it's this or nothing. You can go on loose in the first show. What generally happens is you go on loose in the first show because you know you've got the backup and you actually have a really good show. And then because you have a good show, you're like, well, fuck it. That would, I, I could put that out. So we're set. So the second show, you go on even looser because you know you've got it. And, and that normally ends up being the better show. Okay. So you're a very smart man, Matt right. Kirshen. Is that? <clears throat> you're very good. This is like the start of Inception where like somebody says something and later on people are like, oh my God, yeah. that scientist was right the whole time. <laughs> uh, so uh, there was a moment in the first show. Uh, and I'm jumping all over a bit place here, but it's re- related to what you said. Uh, like, but probably ten minutes in, where I stumbled over a joke that I really like, yeah, and I like went off the back of it, and I, I just flipped a line. It was just one of those stupid little things. Yeah, like I've said this fifty times, right. and I fuck it. I meant to say, uh, I'm talking about the Walkman, right? Oh, yeah. And why I love the Walkman. I remember that bit. And the line is, I love it because it um, under promised. And over delivers, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and nothing else does that anymore. It under promises and over delivers. It makes much more sense in the context of the bit. But I said that it over promises and under delivers, which is the complete opposite of the whole fucking point. Yep. And I was able to just go off the back of it and go, well, I have to pick that one up in the second show. Yeah. And everybody laughed because everyone kind of knew. And then I relaxed and didn't have that in my fucking head for the next 10 minutes Great. like I would have if I was recording one show. Because that's what you would, I would yeah. have done. Well, you would have. You've done enough TV, you, there'd probably be a bit of you that if you were just doing a one and done and you fucked it, you'd be like, I'll pick it up. I'll do it as a pickup once, the, like, even once once the audience is gone, like, we'll clear out the audience and I'll just, we'll, I'll just say that into the, into the camera. 
I could have picked it up even on the night if it was the first show. I think yeah. the audience there. So, okay, so I'll run you through it. I um, like audiences are savvy enough in general to know how these things work. To well, here's the thing. So a couple of things. So we, it was a Monday night at the Opera House, which meant we had to sell four thousand tickets on a Monday night, which is a lot of tickets. Was it right? a conscious decision to do a midweek night, or was that just the night that you could get? That's you know? when you can get the Opera House. Right. It turns out that the Opera House is a very popular venue for things. Fuck, because I was going to book it for my thirty fifth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the reason we recorded so late, because that's way into my new cycle. I should be thinking about my new show on right. January 19th. But the reason we did it that night was that's the night we could get the concert hall at the Opera House. Fair enough. So then you have the problem of like, how do we sell like enough tickets? And the thing is, I was paying for most of it because I wanted to keep the... I had a DVD deal in Australia that I still had to complete. So they, I, I, they, I owed them another show. Yep. Um, but everywhere else, I wanted to own the rights. So hopefully we could sell it to Netflix or release it like the rest of the world or whatever. Yeah. And then right? rather than like they put it out and give you a stipend, it's your show. You own the whole thing. And- right. And I just want people to be able to see it overseas, you know, right. because it's the best way for people to know what it is that I, you know, do well. Totally. To see that long form show. So I just wanted that. So basically we also had to sell all the tickets to kind of pay for the the whole thing. But that was fine. That was good. That's what I wanted to do. Yep. First show completely sold out. And I've got to say thank you to everyone who came. One of the greatest great. audiences I've ever p- performed in front of. You know, they were just there for it. They knew what it was a special night, that sort of thing. Yeah. People had flown in from interstate. I was getting like tweets from people who were like on the plane, like flying there. I'm like, this is like good on you guys. Like it's, it's exciting. Cool. Right? Yeah. So I was really excited about it. We had this beautiful big backdrop that James Fosdyke had done for it. And it was like, it, was, it looks nice. amazing. Justin open for you? Justin open for me and destroyed. Right. Destroyed. <laughs> to but, the point that you started to get a bit nervous. Well, no, it's brilliant because he's such a good opening act because I know he's going to destroy. He yeah. always does. And he gets people thinking. He gets them in the right mindset for yeah, my show. Yeah, he doesn't destroy by just doing a big set piece with his ass in the air or whatever. No, like. no, it's really great. Like, he gets people's mind working the way I like them, but we don't talk about the same things and we don't great. do it in the same style. It's so the perfect it's, opener. Yeah. makes you up your game as well. Like. Oh, always. I've had times on tour with Justin, definitely, where I'm like, I'm going to have to fucking be good tonight. Yeah. <laughs> like- but I, I respect that in general. Like, I really respect when an act... I think we might have even talked about this before on the show, mm. but I really respect when an act has the philosophy of, I'm going to bring a headliner as my opener. Right. Who's going to crush. Right, Because there are definitely some people who maybe a bit less gig-hardened who bring a softball opening act. Right. We're like, oh, I'll get them tittering, but then I'm going to come on as the big as the big guy afterwards and like, ah, now it's my show. You know, no, fuck that. Like have an opening act who makes you a bit nervous to go on. Right. Yeah. You want a wingman who's got as much chance of getting at the girl as you (laughs) do. (laughs) (laughs) And like your name's above the bar. So you've got got an edge. Yeah. Yeah, You should still be able to seal it if you've got any skills, but it's going to be a witty conversation. And at times (laughs) she's going to be a lot more interested in him than she is in you. Um, so he killed. I was feeling really um, excited. I, I don't think I was feeling nervous. Yeah. Um, I was drinking a bit less because like, mm-hmm. I was like, well, we're recording it. And we'd also recorded my improv shows at the store. We've put one of those on the DVDs. So it's going to be nice. And, you know, I drink a lot of those. And so I didn't want like, people to think that I'm like, you know, that's all it Will is. Will Anderson, the drunk comedian. Right. <laughs> 
I already got a review this year in Perth that was like four and a half stars and it said it would have been five stars if I wasn't drunk on stage. <laughs> and I was like, A, I wasn't drunk. I was jet lagged. But B, I was also a bit drunk, but I wasn't <laughs> like... You know, I was my amount of drunk, not like, right. you know. It impre- I, I was no more or less drunk than I am at all the other shows, right. you know. But the second thing was I was like, if you honestly think it's like a, a it's a like a five-star show, but you're taking half a star off because I'm drunk, then you should be actually adding half a fucking star on. That's a better show. But- if you think it's a five-star show and you think I was drunk, then that's a fucking great show. <laughs> <laughs> drunk person logic. <laughs> This is my first speech at Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, uh, and then I said... <laughs> there's a reason... Sorry, the other people around the table haven't spoken yet today. But <laughs> it's not just a podcast that we're here to do. <laughs> I've written a poem about how I feel. <laughs> Imagine if I do that. Like, it, like, I pull out a poem, but it's not actually about you at all. It's just a poem that I've written. Oh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, just, a poem. it's just a slam poetry about racism. <laughs> Uh, like you get on the TV show Intervention and you just think it's a good chance to showcase your poetry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just by the way, I've got a poem. Oh, no, it's not about your heroin addiction. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I've gone out for the first show and uh, I'm feeling like the audience were amazing. They clapped so much and it was a really, they clapped so much that in the second show, I had to um, walk out slower because like in the first show, I was so excited by them clapping and I felt like they like they were clapping so hard that I didn't want them to hurt the hands that I uh. kind of ran out to the microphone. <laughs> like when they're like, you know, you're filming a DVD, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine if they clap. It's got to look. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, save it, save it. Yeah. Like the first thing on your face, like the first expression shouldn't be like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, fuck the show. <laughs> right. So first show was good, um, but there was a couple of things about it. I felt, uh, I, I would say, tight. Now, people who've watched it and whatever, and I've watched it back now as well, you, ca- you, can't, you can't tell that I felt, it, I felt tighter than you could, it was reading that I felt. Yeah. Again, you've, you're an experienced comic and you've, you're an experienced TV comic as well, so you're good at, you get used to not letting your face or your body language show what's going on in your head right like you'll still perform it with the right hey but yeah you know in your own head you know when you're 100 percent in the groove and you know when you're slightly and yeah. there was definitely some moments in that first show where i was definitely like there was moments like jokes and bits and whatever where i was like this is as good a version of this bit that i've ever done right um but there was a couple of things firstly i was getting used to the room like it's a big room it's a big room i've never played it there for a full show before and Have you done like galas there and stuff? I've done galas there right. and stuff, but I've never done a whole show by myself. And the other thing is that the sound there is so amazing, you know, because it's the opera house and they do such a great job with that, that you don't quite know how you're reading in the room with how you almost back off a little bit because the sound's so good, if you know what I mean. Is the, is the sound good? Here's what I've heard, because I, I, don't, I don't know whether it's about that room or whether it's about another opera house. Oh. Uh, might be the Tassie one, but it was a... Um, it, I heard opera houses are designed acoustically so yep. that the sound goes from the stage out to the audience, Correct. but doesn't necessarily come back the other way. Because Correct. in a good concert hall, when it's orchestra, when it's designed for orchestras and for opera, or whatever, you don't want to hear every cough and every right. mumble from the audience. You want to hear nothing but the stage. But that's but for a 
for a cabaret or comedy or interactive show, you do want to hear, you want the audience to hear each other and you want yourself on stage to hear the audience. Yeah, I may, there, I may have been heckled the whole show and not heard it. Right. But, <laughs> Ter- no. but you okay. could hear their laughter and you could hear their applause coming back so, clearly enough. I think in the main room there in the concert hall. Yeah. Yes, you're not going to get the warm. Like when I played the comedy theater in Melbourne, which is a thousand, so it's half the size, it feels warmer. Right. Because it's such a great space, you know, that a thousand in there feels like 2,000. And 2,000 at the concert hall at the Opera House probably doesn't feel like what 2,000 should feel like. Right. However, you get a big noise still and a big rolling laugh. There are other rooms at the Opera House where that is not like where the noise gets sucked into the walls, like where I've had to perform with the lights up a bit more than I ordinarily would, just so that you can see people's faces okay, and so see that they're laughing and enjoying themselves because you can't feel it on stage. So I think it probably is about that venue that someone told me before, I and mean, it was one of the other rooms. Yeah, because yeah, it's designed so that the sound goes from the stage completely out. It's like almost unidirectional. Right. You don't want some old person in the middle of a pinter play whispering to another old person, "What yeah. the fuck is going on?" Exactly. Like a really. <laughs> Yeah, like a like, really quiet movement uh, like in the middle of a concerto and then suddenly like you just hear rustling of sweet packets. And... Right, or just somebody going, this is my ringtone. Yeah. <laughs> I've got this is my ringtone. <laughs> yeah. Is that the one? No, no, which one's the one from the window? Is it the windows opening or is it? <laughs> so I got off stage after the first show and everyone was really happy. All the crew and everyone that I had there, to, you know, like everyone was like, great show, you know, and I've had lovely feedback from the people who came and saw the show and it was 70 minutes on the dot, that show. Right. And so I was like, okay, I've got it in the can. The, the show's done. So then I, um, I was like, oh, fuck it. You know, I'll have another beer and I'll relax and I'll do this second yeah. show like a show show. So the thing, <clears throat> thing about the first show, and I've thought about this a lot and this is why I was happy to talk about this because it's like a revelation that I've had, which was in the first show. So the first time I had ever written down the show uh, was the day before I taped it at the Opera House. I was trying to do a definitive version of a show that has never had a definitive version. Every single night that I've done this show, I've recorded every night and not one of them is the same. Sometimes the show is about the same topics and not even about the same thing. Do you... Interesting. Do you listen back to every show you do? Do No. Okay. I will listen back if it's about, like, if I learn something about the show or if I fuck something up, mostly. Yeah, I like I I, rec- I tend to record now at pretty much every gig I do because yeah. there's enough space on my phone and the right. recorder. The recording on my phone is n- not broadcast quality, but if I put my phone in my back pocket when I'm on stage, it's good enough to hear every beat. Yeah. And I nev- I almost never listen back to it, but sometimes if I do a new thing or do one thing slightly better or differently, I'll listen back to that bit. Right. Yeah, so I do that. Right. And... I and this show has changed every night like as I've learned more about what it's about at the start it was about a whole bunch of things and at different times it's like explored more of what those things were but yeah. it finally kind of clicked in and made some sense and I you know I'm like no I think it's it's about this right you know um <clears throat> and that was just the night that was the night before so the night before just because I had was like well I have to do a version of it what do I think is the yeah, the best and definitive version of this show out of everything that I've explored in it. And that meant that there was material that I've done pretty much every night of that show that I didn't do at the Opera House because there was one bit in particular that I was like, you know what, the show's better without this bit, even though I've Interesting. done it every other night of Is the show. Is that tour. a bit you might save for a future show? No. Just, nah. No, no. just like it was, I did it all year this, yeah. in this show. So if you saw it live on the tour, the show, you, saw- you saw this bit, but it just didn't make the DVD because I thought the show was better without it in the end. So what was the bit? 
Okay, so it was a thing. It was, it was a bit about climate change, really. Okay, but but basically, it was through the prism of um, in the show, in the live show, I would use an audience member as a running theme. Uh-huh. So I had this bit which I dropped from. So none of this is in the show. It was it? Firstly, so basically, here's the. I don't want to spoil the magic for everyone who thought this was like happened only on their night, but I would. Uh, walk out and I would talk about how long I've been doing comedy for because the show itself was about, about it was as much about me and where I was at in my life you know with it was the first year that I'd moved like fully to like I felt like I was fully moving to another country yep and the whole show was like a story of the first time that I went to that country to do comedy and now that I was like you know and so the kind of theme that was running through it was that idea of what you're running to and what you're running from and originally yep. I was running from the farm and now I was at, I'd, be, I'd always been running to this like thing and now I was doing this thing and so that's kind of the the journey or progression of like the show and what the show is kind of like about on a totally on a broader theme. So, but I so I'd normally start like because I like to do a bit of crowd work and stuff when I'm touring. Like I'd normally start by coming out and saying, you know, this is my twentieth year of doing this, and I'd say, is there anyone under twenty in the room? And like you know, then people would clap, and then it'd just be some riff on like whoever was the closest person under twenty of like you know, fuck you, my shoes are older than you, right. like because my shoes are twenty four, right? And I was like, so then I'd riff on that idea in whatever way I wanted to, you know, like. And um, did you do that on the night with it in the opera house night? No. So, and th- that would all turn into a bit about like, so it would, the, the opening context of the show would be, a, what the fuck do I say to you, Chloe? You're like 19 years old. It's a different world to the world that I grew up in. And some nights that'd be a riff on like, you know, you don't even understand the world that like it was, you know, like, yeah, 12 years ago, because that's when I first did comedy, like in America. That's what the premise of the show. Yeah. Like, yeah, 12 years ago, like it might be some riff on, you know, you know, we were at war in Af- you know, in the Middle East and uh, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, like The Hobbit was the biggest movie at the, you know, cinemas or whatever. But some nights it'd just be like, it'd be more like, oh, what can I say to someone your age? Like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry for the world that we've left you. We thought we were the greatest of all generations. Yeah, yeah, and blah, blah, blah. And that would get into a climate change bit. Got so it. then the whole riff would be about like, you know, yeah, like there was a line in it that was something like, um, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, we, we tried to fix it, but it was hard, so we stopped. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, I've and seen then you it do would, that version. Yeah. Yeah. So it would be that whole riff. And then I, you know, so I had a whole riff on the climate change thing and, and on the religious right getting involved in climate change in the U. Anyway, so none of that's in the show. Yeah. Because A, I didn't want to do crowd work. Like I wanted to clean, because my other, the, the DVD extra is an all crowd work show. Right. But, and also, if you're cutting between two different shows, right. it's tricky to go into the audience because Chloe's in the early show and she's not in the late show. Right. Absolutely. Like, why is he talking to Duncan now? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's absolutely correct, right? So so that goes. So you've so done the goes. first show. So I've done the first show. I've walked off. Everyone's pretty happy. You yeah. Know? And so, as you said, the second show, you can kind of go, all right, well, we've got one. Now, I'm going to be completely honest. If that first one had been all we got, I would have walked away from the experience going, that was almost great, but I didn't quite right. nail it. The second show I went out and I just did it how I'd done it on the tour. There is five minutes and this is what I love. So here's the balance of that, like the yin to the yang or whatever of that thing, right? Uh-huh. Is that I dropped five minutes from the recording of the show that like had been in the show every single night of the show. There is five minutes 
in the DVD that will live on forever as like the definitive version of that show that I did not do in any other like just show. Just pure improv? Just pure improv. Right. Like bits off the back of bits, bits like this whole new chunk, like seriously like a three-minute chunk on an idea that's been in the show for the whole tour, but that it just, you know what, it just sometimes it just, just comes blah, out. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, that worked. That's, oh, that's how it should have been. <laughs> yeah. The whole time. And so... I loved that because I th- loved that it was A, the last show. Yep. And B, that that's what the show was about. The show was about that it was different every night. So yep. it, I like the idea that in the last version, there's something that was not in any of the other versions. So That's cool. Bill, so, Bill Burr was talking about on his podcast, because um, I, I, again, I, like, I tweaked and messed around with like six different recordings and played about to find the best way I said that word. Bill Burr on one of his podcasts when he was about to tape a special and he was talking about he was talking to someone about like if there are mistakes and he went I don't see it he said like no I don't see my special as this is the definitive version of this bit I see each special I put out as a document of one night of me doing comedy. Like this is a. I think that's the healthiest way to think about totally it. It's holier. So then you sort of. And I think if I was doing it every year, and that's why I want to get back to doing it every year. Yeah. That's what it becomes. Yeah. I think this one had so much importance because I'd let it build up. Right. So fucking long since and the last. It's at the show. opera house. Yeah, but then it beca- it comes with all that baggage. Yeah. Whereas if you were doing it every year, you're like, okay, well, this was last year's show, and this is this year's show, and then maybe I'll, you know, maybe this year I'll do it, you know, a little bit differently. Yeah. You know, to an audience that doesn't speak English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Then he does it to like farm animals to <laughs> honor your family. I take it back to the farm. Yeah. <laughs> and I just do a gig to confuse the animals. <laughs> oh, yeah. You never said, what did your grandfather get honored for? Your dad was. Oh, so my grandfather was also farming, but also uh, he was like the local mayor and stuff like okay. that. So he was in was like, like farming and local politics, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, okay. So we, we're going to use mostly the second show. Right. Because it just has its own energy and has its own feel. So even though the crowd weren't as big, so we sold about 1,800 tickets to the second uh-huh. show. So you, you can't tell the difference between as, 200. As I said to my management, like uh, when they said, we're going to do two shows at the Opera House on a Monday night, I did say to them, well, let's see if I'm uh, good enough to sell 4,000 tickets to the Opera House on a Monday night. And it turns out, not quite. Not quite. <laughs> 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 Turns out close enough, close. but actually not quite. Don't get Fuck ahead of you, yourself. Those two hundred no. people who stayed away, <laughs> right? You dicks. I'm gonna hunt you down and break your necks. <laughs> <laughs> you won't know. You won't know till it happens. <laughs> that's how. That's how I'm launching the DVD. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna get myself some press that week. Some people flew in from Adelaide, and you right. couldn't be fucked to drive in from Sydney. Yeah, fuck you. Fuck you. No. Anyway, I love you all. But anyway, so I uh, we're going to use mostly the second show. Right. Uh, it was a 90-minute show. 90 minutes. The first one was 70 minutes. Essentially, it was, you know, just was the was... same show. It was just looser and more fun. Now, we'll pair that back. You know, we'll edit out some of the moments in there that were just for that night and were just for that Yeah, moment. sometimes those sort of longer bits are yeah. – great at the time and then you listen to the playback and you go actually that's a bit flabby for the yeah if you're not in the moment and you're not in the audience and we've certainly done a bit of that and taken some of that stuff out and you know i did a whole bit in the second show about how i was just really relieved at how well it had gone because i didn't want to die in that old show to be my show like there was a whole and i was like i don't need to leave that in (laughs) yeah 
That's for the night. <laughs> that was just for the room. Yeah. That's just for you guys to enjoy. But so so then I've had to like watch it all back. And I think we've like p- picked up two things from the um, – we picked up like two things from the first show where I really did nail the joke better yeah. and kind of put them in and they look they don't they don't ruin the flow and they don't change yeah. it. But it's essentially the second show um, and just kind of left it out as it is. But that has also meant, and the reason I'm rambling on about this, the, that I've had the leave-in bits where I've not done the best version of that joke. Because even though that show was like, I'm like, I'm happy for that to be a version of the show for people to watch and go, yeah, that's a sense of what this show was. Yeah. Right. There's still, there's bits that I nailed every fucking night of that tour that I've not nailed in that second show. Right. Even though it was a great show. Because <laughs> you were just still like, bits I stumbled or I fucked that, around Does that bother you or, or have you made peace with that and just gone like, this is a great document of a really cool night? It bothered me the first couple of times and then I got into that Bill Burr mindset of just going, no, 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 no. Like it's flaws and whatever. Yeah, that's that's what it is. It almost shouldn't be too perfect, right? And yeah, I think I I got I got too into my head. I'm very happy with my first album, um, or as it stands, my album. Uh, but it is. <laughs> but also your first album. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, your critical acclaimed debut. It, right. Mm. My difficult first album. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it has been the difficult second album, really, yeah, exactly. hasn't it? Um, my even more difficult second album <laughs> my near impossible third yeah. <laughs> and why is he even doing this now fourth um, but uh, I, I got very into my head and I'm happy with how it turned out but there were, de- there were definitely times where I go really are you that worried about you made a slight nasal sound on the word the right. in the at the 40 minute mark yeah, get over that it's a document of an evening right and you should leave in a couple of those stumbles and a couple of those well, I got a bit freaked out. I watched um, Louis a bunch of Louis specials uh, beforehand, not because I was like really mostly for because we were having a lot of discussions about how we would shoot it at that right. time, and I, I had some pretty firm opinions. But I just wanted to look at some other people's things and and kind of get a sense of what they were doing. I definitely have stylistic preferences when it comes to specials. Like again, Bill Burr, I love the fact that he had no audience cutaways in his most recent one. Right. So basically. That's the definitely the direction that I'm going for as well. Yeah. There'll probably be a couple just to like you know cover some edit edit and... point or whatever. Yeah, but essentially that was what it because particularly in a big room like the Opera House, people aren't going to watch it in the Opera House. They're going to yeah. watch it on their computer or on their phone or whatever, right? Yeah, or on the telly. Yeah, yeah. So you don't want that. Even though we're doing it, I must say this: we recorded it so it can be in like surround sound. So nice. like we do it. So if you're the sort of person that has surround sound, I don't know that many people who do, but. If you have surround sound, like proper surround sound, I want to watch it somewhere where that has surround sound. I'm looking now. You don't have surround sound in this house. I would like to sit on the couch and like be, because you'll be able to feel like you were in the audience. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is kind of cool. But yeah, I think think for a room in that size, you definitely want a couple of audience shots or at least from the back of the audience to the stage just so that you... Just to document the fact that it really was in a room of that. Right. Just to get a feel for So that's the what deal. we're going to do. We're going to do establishing shots like, Great. You know, at the start and like, you know, at the end and stuff. Yeah. And but that then, shot from behind where you sort of see the back right. of you and you see the audience, you kind of see the Will's eye view of the room. And yeah. And, there's, and we use a couple of those shots in the show, but mostly it's what the audience would see, like what great. they're looking at. I, I, great. I like that. Because I find, apparently, yes, I find it so patronizing. Like, if it's a live comedy event, you need, it's nice to hear the audience and kind of see the audience so you feel part of it because laughter's 
a communal activity and it's and it sort of show you get into the spirit of the night so that's cool but i hate the specific close-ups of people's faces to go ah that's oh that's how you react to humor and i hate hate the racist cutaway it's my what's the racist cutaway my my as if someone says uh, something on stage and they have to like it's like like oh look a black person's laughing yeah Oh, the Indian guy's okay with it, so we can be. Oh, the woman laughed at the sexist joke, so it's fine. Like, I find nothing more patronizing and shitty in comedy than that. And TV comedy does that all the time. Of like, I would love because uh, I'm because I'm tr- I was like, well, there's nothing in my show that I would need that for. But there is one line. So yeah, here's the thing. There's one line where it, like it's about where, where people say um, you make fun of God, but you wouldn't make fun of Muhammad, right? And I say, oh, look, I'm happy to make fun of whoever. Like you know, like what a Muhammad, blah. like it's not. And then I say, oh, it's not hard hitting satire, but I'm equal opportunity. And Muhammad, blah, Vishnu, blah. Yeah, it's a yeah. rock bit. But I have. Um, in Sydney, it was like only a few weeks after the Sydney siege, and like that sort of like you know. So that joke has a bit of extra, and particularly after Charlie Hebdo and all that sort yeah. of stuff, like it's a little just bit more sensitive, even saying the word right. Yeah, you know, and there was even a little in the room, like as soon as you say Muhammad and you're going to make fun of Muhammad, like people like, are like, is he here? Right, right. <laughs> you're not going to draw a picture, right? Like. I had two friends, uh, both who like are prominent Muslim people. Right. Like Nazim Hussain, who's a, like a comedian from Australia and was on the Islamic Council and all sorts of things. So a very prominent Muslim guy. And also an Australian cricketer called Usman Khawaja. Uh, they were both guests of mine. So they could have been sitting quite near each other. I don't know if they were, but imagine if they were just next to each other. And then it we just get just a cut away of them. those two. <laughs> like, see, they're fine with it. Like two famous ones of a them. A cricketer and one who's on a council. Yeah. <laughs> be great i actually want to uh, i might be turning my hand here and uh, maybe should keep this to myself but fuck it um if i do a special i want to have as an extra like as a dvd extra a thing where i basically do that like have that where it's mention a black person and then it cuts to the black person laughing and then an indian person and then it just gets increasingly more ridiculous right like an inuit and then there's like a donkey laughing. Like, but I also like the idea a donkey, of, and then it cuts to a donkey braying. I quite like the idea of you doing it about every like uh, uh, about everybody or everything that you make fun of. Though. Yeah, like every joke. Like you, exactly. ha- you have to get your parents there. Yeah, you have to get that school teacher. You have to track down that girl that you're in love with in grade four. It's Abraham Lincoln laughing at <laughs> a joke about Lincoln. <laughs> right. Yeah. About former presidents. A toaster, just like. <laughs> Nodding approval. You know, your famous toaster bit. (laughs) I mean, it cost thousands of extra for the animation, but I think it was worth it for a dumb joke. But I think it'd be a fun thing to do as a DVD extra, just to have a... Right. Um, Yeah, so... uh, Here's what I wanted to tell you about Justin. So in the second show, Justin relaxed as well. Right. Um, Justin did a great job in both shows, but he also relaxed in the second show. So he's done his set and then he spent like five minutes you know, explaining what's going on and introducing me, which normally in the first show took like a minute. Right. But he's really like, he's got a bit about it now. So he's leaning into it, you know. <laughs> and then, you know when <laughs> I was, at, so you're about to go out, it's like second show. I'm excited. I'm a bit more relaxed, but you know, you need like an omen or something like, you know, and th- funnily enough, that's what kind of the show's about. This idea that I got this omen from this ridiculous thing yeah. that may or may or not have happened. And so 
I got an omen as I was going on stage to do this omen show. It was the best moment. It made me laugh so much because Justin, just as he's thanking everybody, yep. like has just had a brain snap. Like where he's meant to say some words, but other words have come out. Uh-huh. And it just made me laugh so much because he was just trying to say, uh, thanks for having me. And he said, yeah, so he said the whole spiel and he's like, so thank you very much. Uh, he says, uh, thanks for accepting me. <laughs> And it's one of those things where I've turned to like the person who was next to me and going, did he just say thanks for accepting me? And then he's walked off and you can tell I'm like in his head, he's like going, did I just say thanks for accepting me? And then as he's walked by me, all I've just said is I've looked him in the eye and just gone, thanks for accepting me. And he looked at me and and I was just like, this is going to be a fun show. I, it just made me feel so good. Thanks for accepting me. <laughs> Like, you finally. made me feel okay about the fact that I don't know my father. <laughs> Thank you for accepting me. You're my family now. You're my family. <laughs> You're all knights to me. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. Um. Did you tape? Did you tape his set as well? Did that get taped? Yeah. Yeah. I imagine so. Yeah. And they taped his set for um, audience as well. Uh, Fanny of the audience cutaways. So even the audience cutaways you see are actually not from me. Right. They're from Justin because we didn't shoot any audience when I was on because I wanted the lights to be a bit lower because I like to perform, you know, in a room where it's already an artificial situation when they've got cameras and lights and stuff like that. That's a standard trick anyway. And like in TV productions quite often if it's like a talk show or something, the audience cutaways have been stolen from the warm-up guy. Warm-up guy, right, yeah. Yeah, it happens all the time. Because, like, you know, you when the show's on, you have the cameras pointed at the people. <laughs> yeah, because you want as much coverage as right. possible and you've only got a certain number of cameras. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, if there's a cutaway where it's somebody just going, who's this guy with the glasses? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the Go Justin t-shirts right. <laughs> <laughs> that everyone in the audience is wearing. It's weird. It was really... <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, I wanted the lights down low uh, for me. So, uh, yeah, so there you go. That's that's the story of the DVD. Well, congratulations, mate. When's that coming out? When? Uh, end of March, I believe. End of March in Australia. And then, uh, you know, um, at some other time in the rest of the world. Um, nice. But now I have to write my new show. So yep. I've, got to, I've got to be... Are you taking it, You're taking it to the Aussie festivals first, yeah, right? Yeah, so March 2, I'm in Adelaide. So That's going to be the debut. Soon. That's why I'm, <laughs> still, soon. In my, that's why I'm still in my pyjamas. Right. I said this to you. You came over at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and I said, I'm sorry, I'm in my pyjamas. Yeah. I have a new show to write. <laughs> and, I mean, like, like actual, like, full-on pyjamas. And, you know, I didn't even know they made, like, spaceship pyjamas in that size, but... <laughs> You know what? You joke about that, but for Christmas, my mum bought me Batman pajamas, ah. so I could have been here in my Batman pajamas. Like, at least take the mask off, Will. <laughs> I added the mask myself. I got it from my flight, and I've just fashioned it out of like a sleeping eyewear thing. Oh, is that why Batman says Virgin Atlantic? And I've got the earbuds, you know, the little uh, yeah. the noise cancers, and I've like texted them black, and I've just put them on my head. <laughs> I thought that was a mole. 
and one of the socks they give you. It's a sock pulled over my head with a couple of little the earbuds on top of it painted. Like, that is a yeah. make your own Batman Talk. after a flight. Thing. Well, it's not just the drinking that we've all come here to talk to you about. People should start <laughs> doing that on planes. Let's start doing that. Let's start doing that. As the, that could be a meme. We could invent a thing that people do. You get on the plane and you get the eye mask and you get the, like, what are the earbuds called? What am I calling? What am I calling? Just earplugs, I think. Earplugs, right? You yeah. get your earplugs, you get your sock, right? You put the sock over your head, you attach the, the earplugs, you paint them black, texture. You can do it with a texture. Yeah. And then... <laughs> <laughs> You've got to put high, holes in the eye mask, which is hard because you're not allowed to bring a knife or like scissors on. So we'll have to come have to up like with... bite a hole in. <laughs> you have to bite a hole. And then, and then when it's time to sleep, you'd have to go to you'd have to call the cabin crew over and just go, "Can I get another eye mask, please?" Because I've chewed through my first one. <laughs> I'd be like, "Oh, fuck, we got another Batman." <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, Emma, we got someone else's Batman the mask. <laughs> can we get, a, can we get another set? We call it uh, bat planning. Bat planning. <laughs> Hashtag bat planning. We started that. I want to see it. Bat planning. It'll be the new planking. It'll be the new planking. Oh, my God. That'd be great. I, w- I would love for us to invent something that was like, you know. You're- I'd love to be able to say I invented something that came up. <laughs> That's utterly useless. Right? I don't, yeah, I don't mind. It doesn't have to be a good thing. No. And it'd just be like, um, what's something that's totally useless? Like uh, glow sticks, right? I, I just would have liked to have invented glow sticks. Well, glow sticks, I think, did originally have a use in like camping situations. Like the one. I don't know. I don't want to have invented those ones. I want to just invent the ones that they have at like the, raves, raves and shit. right? Yeah. I'm the guy who adopt, adapted another guy's idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I want to be. I don't want to invent the iPhone. I want to invent an app. Right. Right? Or like. You want to invent like the bunny ears that you stick on an iPhone. Yeah, I'd be happy with that. <laughs> or just like something that it's like helpful that people like, you know, like that just makes life a little bit easier. Right? <laughs> I don't, I like, uh, like, I would have liked to have invented the little uh, thing you push with your foot to open a bin lid. Right. Like if I've invented that, it, like I'd be yeah, like. Yeah, the pedal bin. Yeah. I, if I'd been the first guy, I was like, you know, we could put a little. Uh, a pedal on. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have. You'd have contributed to society, although also con- negatively contributed because those things inevitably break within a year or two, and then you've just got an annoying bin. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly if I invented them, they would not have, <laughs> <laughs> like, because I don't really know how to, it works. Get your three-year-old nephew to do it. Right. I, I, I imagine I could work it out. Like, I could, I'd be boasting about this so much. I should not, I'm about to boast about something that no human should boast about, but here you go. Okay. I assembled a barbecue over Christmas. Okay. And it took me three hours. It probably should have taken about 30 minutes, but it took me three hours. But it had like new fashion burners and all sorts of complicated shit. And that's and good. And I put it together. You had to have your own tools, Matt. It didn't, it wasn't just one of those things where it comes with the Allen key and you whack it together. It wasn't that. You actually had to have... You actually had to have tools. Wow. Or go and buy tools if you didn't have tools. Or borrow them from... Your girlfriend who has tools, <laughs> in my case. <laughs> so I... But I... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I've, I've been assembling things because I've moved into a new place. Oh, yeah. Tell I us about that. I put a bed that. together. So th- you're living by yourself for the first time yeah. ever. Yeah. No one to protect me from monsters. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, it's pretty scary, but I'm yeah. coping. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Apart from the monsters, it's been great. 
Yeah, it's good. But but the previous did you have to buy a lot of your own stuff. I had to buy almost everything uh-huh. because. And how did you go with that? Did you enjoy it, or was it a chore? I've had a couple of friends help with a few things. Uh-huh. Like I'm I'm lucky enough to have a few friends who enjoy that kind of thing because I'm bad at it. Um, but in I'd never done it before really to that level because I I used to live in a furnished place out here uh-huh. like I was subletting from a friend. And in Britain, when you rent somewhere, it normally comes furnished to a fairly high extent. Is that right? Yeah. Like, like the, my old place in London, it looked pretty much always when you rent somewhere, like, you have to have your own, like, little things. Like, like maybe, you know, a bedside table and stuff, right. like, work Toothbrush. desk. No, that comes. That comes with... Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, but the big things, like a bed and couches right. and, like, fridge? kitchen table, fridge, that all normally comes when you rent somewhere, comes right. with it. I mean, that does actually seem practical and handy in some ways. Yeah. Whereas in America, and apparently in Australia as well, yeah. they just give you the empty shell of a building Correct. and trust you to be a grown-up. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> just go for it. Well, I, we would put it the other way. In Britain, they leave you their stuff and they trust you to be a grown-up. Well, that's Do you true. know what I mean? Like, at least in Australia, you're ruining your own stuff. But it does mean... It means normally in a rental place in Britain, you're dealing with... You're often dealing with fairly cruddy, like... The kind of furniture that someone who's renting a building is like, well, let's, let's, right. oh, this is a couch. I don't mind getting fucked up. Exactly. But but you don't have you don't have to buy a couch. Uh, you don't have to buy a bed. You don't have to buy a kitchen table and chairs. And I'm doing all of that at the moment. And, and that it, and that when you live in another country is a whole another level of yeah. investment as well because you're like. It's not like if you decide in a year and a half to go like back to the UK or whatever that you're like, oh, I can just take my bed and my- right. You have to sell that to someone. Right. And I and I even like in Britain, I've still got some of that stuff in Britain that's in my parents' loft. Mm. Like just in my parents' attic, there's stuff that I just can't be bothered to bring over because it'd be such a hassle and such a ever. Like you know, I've got kitchenware. I've got a whole set of nice knives. I've got pots and pans and plates and cups that are just they just sat there gathering dust because right. and i bought new ones out here because it's probably cheaper than shipping that over right although or, or just every time you go home for christmas or something taking one empty suitcase and coming well, back with like the weirdest suitcase full I, of shit i did that a bit but there's other you know there's like a king-sized duvet that is right. still there that i'm like <laughs> do i do i want to bring that or do i just go to a shop and buy a new one? i've just bought a new one right. um but there's just you know there's things like that it's just oh, i can't be bothered to or it's just a hassle so now i've just i've been buying stuff but i've been putting stuff together i put a whole bed frame together by myself okay that's pretty good it was good i was impressed with that how long did it take not that long i mean it was ikea and it was designed well Mm. um to go together like so it worked but i did it like i put it together and it it supported my body weight there's Without a, creaking for right, I mean you aren't now. you aren't much of a test of that. I am much of a test of that. Like it's, <laughs> it's yet to be fully road tested. Right. <laughs> but I went. I had to go bed shopping. Okay. I've got material out of that now. Yep. Good. Which like is, literal material. I've got like yeah. I've yeah. got like a five minute bit now on buying a bed that I'm happy about. So that's paid for itself. Right. Is it material based material though? Like from going bed shopping. Like is any of it about like doona covers or like you it know duvet. Of- Sheets, anything? No, I don't have any sheets bit. No, it's okay. mostly mattress in it. Okay. It's mostly mattress. It's mostly mattress. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right, I can say that. But it's a bit. Did you um, choose a mattress uh, for... Did you choose a mattress for comfort or did you choose a mattress for affordability? I split the difference. Okay. I definitely... I spent substantially more than I could have done to get a serviceable mattress. Uh-huh. 
but I didn't go nuts. What size like, bed did you get? I went queen size. Okay. Because I wanted a I wanted a relatively good size bed, mm-hmm. but I'm in a studio apartment and a king size was taking the piss. Right. I didn't want most of my flat to be a bed. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So right. I went I went for queen size. Well, that's a, which is like, you know. Right. That's it, a it nine- honors your origin. Right. It's a great tribute. Yeah. It's... You know she's married to uh, Sir Phil of Australia. One... Yeah, so. <laughs> One of the finest Australian knights. Of all time. Does he have to defend Australia now in a, if Australia's attacked? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I know I just imagine he duels with the other knights, right? Well, I Is think... that how it works? So him and Angus Houston, who was head of the yeah. military, are going to have a duel. Okay, maybe this is interesting. And if any... If... Maybe this is like Thunderdome. I think... If Tony Abbott... That's how he can save this, because yeah. it's going to bring him down as Prime Minister. But he could save it by going, no, 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 you haven't seen the twist yet. Uh, we can make them fight yeah. each other. And if anyone in Australia is challenged to a fight... They can pick one of those two as their champion to fight in their stead. That would be brilliant. (laughs) Yes. Like people overseas. Like we've got all these people on death row at the moment. Right. Like in Indonesia for drug smuggling. And because Australia's not a death penalty country, like there's debates in our society about. Look, here's the thing. They were heroin traffickers and that can do a lot of damage to society. But I just personally believe that we shouldn't kill people. Like I I don't think. There is no. There are so many reasons against the death penalty. I can understand why people want to kill people, and I think that's one of the reasons we shouldn't kill people. Yeah. But anyway, uh, maybe we could give them a chance, at least a sporting chance. They could say, look, you know, Indonesia, you bring your best night and we get our best night, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. like you at least get a last defence. You get, you get Prince Philip on a horse. No, you have to wait because he's back in the hospital again with a bit of heart trouble. <laughs> How is Australia reacting to it? Like, are they are they genuinely indignant, or are they just, or do they think it's funny or nonsense? Or no, gen- this may well bring Tony Abbott down. Like, a are you year actually into serious? His prime ministership, yeah. Because, well, he's had a terrible run. It turns out he's that, a shitty, shitty man, right? Yeah, oh yeah, and he always has been. Turns out that um, here's what the Australian electorate thought: that we hated the last mob so much that we were like, you know what, like. Here's what it was like. We were in like a bunch of really shitty relationships and then a guy came along <laughs> on a motorbike, <laughs> you know, like with, like with gang tats and like, you know, like everything. And we were like, you know what? Just give it a- Maybe he'll be a nice guy. And then you accidentally got knocked up by him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other mob was so terrible that people thought that Tony Abbott might be all right despite the fact that he's been nothing but terrible I've for 20 never- years in public life. That's what I thought, like I've never seen an interview with him. I like I know I know I know the worst examples of anyone are the ones that make it onto yeah. Facebook links sure. and that kind of thing and get tweeted out. But I've never seen an interview with him where he doesn't come across as a boorish moron and just an unpleasant hateful going for the lowest common denominator populist bullshit. He's always been terrible and it's weird that we're surprised that he's terrible now. Right. It's like we've gone, hey, this guy is terrible at this low-level thing. Maybe he'll be awesome if we put him in charge of everything. But it just shows you what politics is like. That if it, if it genuinely is, like, this thing is genuinely making such a big difference, it shows you what politics is that he's done all these terrible, terrible things, things to various... various. I mean, our, uh, our, our human rights obligations to refugees have just been completely thrown out the window. It's ridiculous. He's targeted in his budget uh, the poor, the elderly, the unemployed, the disabled. Right. Like, I mean... And the thing that might bring him down right. is the most inconsequential, unimportant... Right. 
Oh, he gave a trinket to a rich to a, <laughs> right. gave a, a, an outdated institution to an outdated institution, and that's the thing that's gonna not not the way he's treating all these other people. No, well, I th- but I not do. his sexism and racism. Right. And I think it, it is one of those things where sometimes you know it so it was so out of touch with what everyone. In, it, it was one of those things where you know in every news story there's at least the ideological warriors who will come out and like defend the decision. Yeah, but like he had all his best friends, like the right wing guys, like Andrew Bolt, who's our big like you know Bill O'Reilly or like whatever would like to be, you know, like yeah. you know the right wing voice, you know. Even he came back from his holidays to be like, this is the most ridiculous decision <laughs> and Tony Abbott's an idiot. And I'm like, oh, man. Wow. Because like, no one could find – like there is just no way of – and he didn't consult anyone. He called it a captain's pick. So he just like – so even his own cabinet. So the next day, like about 10 people got interviewed and they were all like, well – He's the Prime Minister! <laughs> like, not one person backing him up or saying it's a good idea. Wow. So he might survive it because, yeah, we've turned over Prime Ministers so often in Australia that to turn over one this quickly into, like, they might have to try to just survive it, but, I mean, it's, yeah, it might bring him down. Hilarious. Of, of all the things. I mean, if that's what it takes. <laughs> but Right. God, that's Although, ever, like, I mean, it's not like this is the thing about Australia at the moment is that, like, everyone's terrible. Like, we keep going. What he might do a good job? No. What about what? What about her? No. What about him? No. Then by going, oh, well, let's go to the person who didn't get the job, like in front, like, you know what I mean? Like most of the people we're going to next are the ones that weren't as good as the last one we had. Right. Right. So <laughs> it's just getting worse. Like we're just looking at the janitor in the corner like, what about that guy? <laughs> He's been here the whole time. Give him a go. Let's give it a try. Maybe it'll be like Goodwill Hunting and it'll be really good at stuff. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, what well on Australia. Uh, what a good note to finish the podcast on. Hey, uh, Matt, we should finish up. We uh, so uh, people can see you on Monday night at the Nerd Melt Theatre. Uh, it is free. Uh, I uh, I bought $100 worth of Australian chocolates and candies and stuff for people. Did you buy uh, that in Australia and bring it over? Duty or did- free. I got it at duty free. Good work. And then I took it all out of the packages and I put it because it was a lot of packages. Yeah. And I took it all out of the packages at the airport and I poured it all just into one duty free bag. Like I was like just <laughs> had a duty free bag full of like loose chocolates. Uh and there was about $100 worth that I bought. And uh, on the night, there'll be about $80 worth because <laughs> I've eaten a lot of those chocolates, I've got to say, in the last few days. But there'll still be plenty. Are there Tim Tams? There's Tim Tams. There's Caramello Koalas. There's Cherry Ripes. There's Crunchies. There's all sorts of Australian uh, sweets for people to enjoy. So Good come work. to the show. Uh, where else can people find you? Your podcast, Probably Science. That's that's true. Uh, so there's that. Um, then Matt Kirshen on, like, at Matt Kirshen on Twitter, Matt Kirshen on Facebook, mattkirshen.com is my rarely updated website. Um, by the way, thanks everyone who listens to the show who tweeted and emailed the Comedy Store and various other Australian venues. Nice we one. still haven't fixed a date, but I did get an email from them going, suddenly got a lot of people messaging us. <laughs> There you go. Uh, so, yeah, I think it has worked. Um, we're still trying to pin down a date, but hopefully I'll be over there. That would be good. That would be very, very good. Um, but, yeah, you can find me in all the all the usual online places, and please give Probably Science a listen. And uh, also, oh, we'll be at a sketch fest together as oh, well. We should plug that, definitely. Yeah, San Francisco Sketch Fest. I think we're both doing set list together, and yes. we're both doing the best of... Uh, 
was like called the best of the Edinburgh Festival or something. It's, some, it's basically, we've got a bunch of foreigners and we've whacked <laughs> them on a show and we're trying to make it sound exciting. Let's give it a weird branding, but right. it's got... Um, Janine Garofalo's hosting. She is, which is awesome. I've never worked with her before. Uh, Daniel Sloss is on that show too. Yes. Uh, uh, Maeve Higgins, I who's, believe. I haven't seen in years. She's hilarious. And she's, yeah. She, she's, she's in New York nowadays, but she's an Irish comic. Brilliant comic. Really lovely too. Oh, great. Like great company and great comic. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, Dan Clark, I think, was also someone else I haven't seen for years. I don't know if I know. Dan He's Clark. a British comic, um, and he was he was the show immediately before me in the my first Edinburgh festival. Oh, you know, right. like you always like uh-huh. here's your here's your room, buddy. Like he was the one who was finishing when I was wait when right. I was getting ready to go in. I could hear his closing music. Pete Furman for mine. Okay, yeah, <laughs> Pete and I. I would like so he was clearing up his thousand magic props. Right, because well, he's a, like a magician, but also like a. What he's a comic, he's a comedy a comic magician, magician yeah. right? But like, I would get to see a bit of like the behind. It was very exciting for me. I would oh, love yeah. that. I would be like, you're watching him oh, prep. There's the ball with the and that's uh, the, oh, yeah. my, <laughs> trying to work it out. My first proper Edinburgh run uh, was 2003. I know I did like a half run in 2002, but in 2003 I was doing a couple of shows, and straight after us, the mix, the Hackney Empire themed show in the Gilded Balloon Caves, as it then was. Uh, was the Concords was straight oh, on after us, right? With their second show, I can't remember who was on before us. Okay, uh, that's pretty cool. But that was cool. But I never got to see them because I was running straight from that to another show. Like I only got to see them one night. We never, we only ever crossed over on one show. All right, um, I have another podcast. It's called Willosophy. Uh, you can find that uh, Willosophy with Willosophy uh, with Will Anderson. It used to be called Willosophy. And then there was an iTunes issue, and then it turned out it was easier to start a whole new podcast than it is to change something on iTunes. So anyway, it's called Willosophy with Will Anderson. So if you've nice. got the old link, get rid of that because there's not new podcasts being downloaded to it, but all the old podcasts are on the new link as well as a whole bunch of new podcasts. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'll be at uh, Sketchfest uh, with Matt and... Uh, on the weekend and uh, the show on uh, February the 9th and then of course my free will tour which is on sale in Adelaide, Brisbane and in Melbourne as part of the comedy festivals in those various places. I also forgot to mention I don't know if you have any listeners in Toledo but Valentine's weekend Ooh. I'm playing Toledo, Ohio. If you're looking for something uh, romantic to do in Toledo City of Lovers. Yeah more like Toledo <laughs> if you know ah. what I'm saying. Uh, so um <laughs> I should mention this one as well, sorry. The 16th, Monday the 16th, I will be trialling for the first time my free will show. So that'll be the first time I try any of the material that will will possibly be in that show. Uh, And Dave Anthony will be trialling his hothead uh, hour. Uh, So that's at the Steve Allen Theatre. And you can come and see... uh, so I, last time I did my last show, and so this time will be a, a completely different uh, show, whatever the fuck it'll be. Sweet. I don't, I don't know what it'll be, Matt. How's it looking? Have you got most I, of it? Well, I don't know, no. Is it bullet points yet? Or no, is it? Uh, it's, there's a lot of notebooks. All right. There's a lot of articles that I've bookmarked and a lot of half thoughts that I've had. And stop and talking to me. Pull your Batman mask back on. It's a good point. I have Go to stop to talking writing. to you. Thank you for doing the podcast, my friend. Thank you always. Thank you always.